Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Well, good morning to you. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are excited that you've chosen to join us for worship today. Um, I get the honor and the privilege of bringing God's Word this morning to us. And so as we start out, I'm going to invite you to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, if you want to go ahead and be turning there. Uh, We begin our third mini-series inside of what we've called the Family Bundle. Um, and so we've chosen to broken that, break that up into three different mini-series, and so this is the third and the final mini-series that we're calling The Struggle Bus. And I think if we were all honest, we would say at some point in our life we've been on The Struggle Bus, and maybe all of us could say we're on that right now as we navigate a pandemic season here in our city, our country. Um, and so we're excited as we step into some kind of relevant present day topics, and we try to look at what God's Word will have for us as we look at those things. And so a couple disclaimers as we we start a message called mental health. A couple disclaimers on that. First of all, I'm not a doctor. My name is not Dr. John King in any way. Uh, There is a Dr. John King, but he's a different kind of doctor who is coming in a few weeks, but I'm not a medical professional. Uh, And so I'm not pretending to be a medical professional, and I don't play one on TV. And so uh, we are blessed. God has given us the gift of medical professionals, wonderful medical professionals who do a fantastic job uh, for us. And God has given us a gift in medicines and people who understand how to leverage those in our lives to help us be healthier. And so that is not what I am teaching on today. That's not me. Um, Second disclaimer, I'm not a psychiatrist Um, God has given us a gift of wonderful counselors who have studied and are are gifted in this way, who can help us as we navigate different seasons in our life. And so I am not that person. And so I am not going to pretend to be able to unravel the mysteries of the universe or even the mysteries and complexities of your life or mine in one sermon. Uh, And so I am neither of those. However, I would encourage you, in particular in this time, that if you don't have those two present in your life, I would encourage you to seek that out as we navigate a season of uncertainty. Both medical professionals and counselors are wonderful gifts to us uh, as people, as humans. Um, Mental health is an interesting junk drawer of things. It's one of those topics that when you hear that word, it's, it's used to describe all kinds of things in our culture. And it seems like you can't open an app or a a news app or turn on the TV without hearing some kind of reference to mental health and what mental health is and how we should help our mental health and what we should do to have better mental health. Everything from get sunshine and drink water to go on walks to, to go to the beach, you know, things like that. All of these things help our mental health. So the thing that I am is I am a pastor. So I'm not a medical professional and I'm not a counselor, but I am a pastor. And so what do I have? I have Jesus and I have God's word. And so today we're going to look into the life of Christ and we're going to see some things that he did as he encountered different situations in his life that would impact his mental health. And we're going to see how he responded in those situations. Because to be a disciple is to be a person who follows Jesus. And so we can learn so much 
by just looking at what he did and how he lived and how he reacted and responded in a given situation and model that into our own lives. And so that's what we're going to seek to do this morning through John chapter 11. Mental health has been defined as a person's condition with regard to their psychological and emotional well-being. A person's conditional condition with regard to their psychological and emotional well-being. If you Google mental health, you'll find all kinds of definitions of what it is. You'll find all kinds of articles of, of how we deal with that. This is the one that stuck out to me. A person's condition with regard to their psychological and emotional well-being. To take that a little bit deeper, it includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make choices. That's mental health. So this morning, we're going to attempt to look at two things that I believe as we read Scripture show up over and over and over in the life of humans and are two of the things that shape our life, our mental health, and even the trajectory of our life more than any other two things that we encounter. And those two things are pain and love. Pain and love. How we respond to pain or suffering and how we search for love or significance are two of the greatest shapers of us as people, as humans, of anything that we experience. And so in John chapter 11, we're going to see Jesus deal, encounter both of these things in one experience. Responding to pain, searching for love, filling the need for love. So to do that, I want to set, set kind of where we are as we start into John chapter 11. First of all, at the beginning of this chapter, it takes place in the, in the town of Bethany, which is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Two miles outside of Jerusalem. It was the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And if you are familiar with the Bible and you're familiar with the life of Christ, you've, you've probably heard the names, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. They were friends of Jesus. And they're mentioned several times throughout the different accounts of his life. And so John, in his account of Jesus' life here in the Gospel of John, mentions Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, who were friends of Jesus. This was their town, the town of Bethany. It's where they lived. Through the Gospel of John, there are seven distinct signs or miracles that Jesus performs of increasing intensity that John chooses to kind of call out as he's telling the story of Christ on earth. And this is the seventh and the most significant, the most unique among those signs. Rewind just a little bit to chapter 10. So in the middle of chapter 10, Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem, which is about two miles from Bethany. And the tensions between the Jewish leaders and Christ are escalating. And so there are lots of things that are being said all the way to the point where we see in chapter 10 that the Jewish leaders wanted to stone Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. And so it's in that context that we arrive at chapter 11. 
So Jesus and his disciples are east of the Jordan. They've left Jerusalem because the Jewish leaders were ready to stone him. And we enter into the story of Lazarus and his sisters in their town. And as we move through this story, we see several things. Basically that Lazarus is sick. Word comes to Jesus and his disciples that Lazarus is sick. They decide to linger a little bit longer where they are, and then they eventually go to Bethany. And by the time they get to Bethany, Lazarus has died. Lazarus has died. And so the town is in mourning. The sisters are in mourning over the loss of their brother. And then ultimately, eventually, as we move through the chapter, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and gives us this incredible sign of what's to come with his own resurrection. And so that's where we are contextually in chapter 11. But we're going to do something a little unique in that we're going to look at this encounter first through the lens of pain. So Jesus is experiencing pain just like you and I would experience pain. And so let's zoom in a little bit on John chapter 11. John chapter 11. The first thing that I want to point out to you is that pain is common to humans. Pain is common to humans. Look at verse 1 of John chapter 11. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. When I read that verse and I read the word sick, every single person in this room immediately goes, I know what that means. I don't have to put that in the Greek for you to figure out what sick means. We all get it. Why? Because it's something we've all experienced. It's something that every single person in the world will experience pain, sickness. We all go through it. It's something that's common. And so even Jesus, as he walked this earth, had a friend who was sick. He understood what it meant to have a friend who was sick. Now, there's a couple different kinds of pain that we go through as people. The first one is is physical. This is the, I wake up in the middle of the night and I walk out to get a drink of water and I stub my little tiny toe on the edge of the couch. Pain. And that hurts like crazy. Who put that couch there? (laughs) Hurts like crazy. The second type is emotional pain. So when you're four years old and you're playing dodgeball for the first time and and somebody hits you with a dodgeball on the face and it just hurts your face, but what hurts worse? That everybody laughed when you got hit in the face. And the pain, the physical pain in your face kind of fades away, but the, the emotional pain of getting hit in the face and everyone laughing, the embarrassment, the shame, tends to linger and linger and linger. And we all understand what that is too. So we understand pain. It's common to humans. It's common to humans. Number two, number two, pain is subject to sovereignty. Pain is subject to sovereignty. Look at verse four. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Sovereignty is an interesting word. It essentially means control. It means that God is in control, yes, even of pain. And so in this verse, Jesus says to his disciples, I've heard that Lazarus is sick, but this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. He's literally saying that this is happening on God's watch. 
and it's for God's glory. Lazarus going through this pain is for God's glory. That's a tough one to wrestle with. We go back a couple chapters to John chapter 9. Verse 2 says, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, sovereignty is this word that, that means either caused or allowed. Caused or allowed. But there's a truth here that anything that happens to us, yes, even the things that are painful, exist inside of the sovereignty of God. And so God has either caused that or he's allowed it. But you can be certain that it's gone across his desk before it hits your life. That's sovereignty. And there's something about this that is saying that even pain can bring glory to God. So that flips things on its head because we think pain and we think bad. But Jesus is saying here, there, there are two instances here where Jesus is saying this pain is for God's glory. And so you going through this pain is for the glory of God so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So sometimes all we're left is proclaiming what we just sang. God, I don't understand, but you're good. And I trust you. God, I don't get it, but you're good. And I trust you. God, I don't have answers to the questions, but you're good. And I trust you because you are sovereign. Number three. Number three, pain is an opportunity for presence. It's an opportunity for presence. Go to verse 33. Verse 33 of John chapter 11. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. That's the shortest verse in all the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. But I think it's a verse that may tell us more about our Savior than any other. He wept. You see, Jesus could have removed that pain. He had the power in the moment to solve it. He had the power to solve it before it even happened. So why was he weeping? Was it a loss of hope? Did he, did he not know that in one minute he was going to call Lazarus from the grave? Did he not know that someday God is going to restore the world? Did he not know any of that? No, he knew all of that. But he still wept. So why did he weep? Because to Christ, that was an opportunity for presence. You know, people, another thing that's common to humans is that we 
have pain avoidance systems. All of us do. There's a popular personality test that our staff enjoys and we talk about and we send memes to each other about called the Enneagram. And it basically takes the entire world and it puts us all into nine numbers, you know, one through nine. And each personality is unique and different kind of in the way that they approach life. But there's one interesting part about that is that every single one, one through nine, has a way of avoiding pain. Has a way of avoiding pain. I'm a seven, which means that I go where the party is, optimistic and and visionary and that kind of world. And so what do I do with pain? Well, I just act like it's not there because it's going to ruin the party. So every single one of us has a way of avoiding the pain. So what's unique about Jesus here? He steps into it. He knew hope. He knew what was coming. He knew what was right around the corner. He knew that in a moment he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead and there was going to be rejoicing. But he didn't say, hey, don't be sad. He didn't say, hey, you know, pick your face up. He didn't say any of that. He stopped and he wept. And he looked around and the people who were grieving, he wept with them and he wept over the brokenness of loss. He stepped right into that moment and he didn't miss what the pain was going to do in his life. He didn't skip what that opportunity was for him to be present in the lives of those around him. There was an opportunity for presence in that moment and he didn't skip it. The band's going to join me and as they do, there's something I want to draw out from this. You know, if we're honest, pain is one of those things that leads, in many cases, to our greatest moments of doubt. Blessing doesn't tend to do that. You know, if we get a raise, it's, we don't go home and go, man, I don't know if God loves me. I got a raise. You know, that doesn't tend to create doubt. That tends to create confidence. Well, God loves me. But pain tends to create doubt in our life. Why do bad things happen is a question that we ask. Most of the time when we're doubting, it's the method. It's the method. God, why are you choosing to do it that way? Why are you choosing me for that thing? Think about some of the things we just read in John 9. The question was, could, not, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind man? In John 11, both Mary and Martha, separate times, have a conversation with Jesus in verse 21 and verse 32. If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And sometimes we sanitize that. We just kind of read over that. If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. That's not the way it went. It was if you had only been here. Confusion and pain and exhaustion all welling up. If you had only been here. Six years ago, my wife started experiencing just random pain.
pain in her face. And it just got sharper and sharper and sharper and sharper. And it got to the place where it was just debilitating. Like she just couldn't function in the day. And so we're getting tests and we're talking to people. We're talking to everybody we can and trying to figure out what's going on. And so we go, this is when we're living in California. And so we go to different doctors and have different tests run. Nobody really has answers until finally we, we have one doctor who diagnoses her, and he diagnoses her with a, a disease called trigeminal neuralgia, which I know way too much about now. And it was one of those nerve diseases that there's no cure for, there's no surgery for. You just live with it. And it's just pain, constant pain. So she obviously goes on medication, and we eventually move across the country, and we come here to Bible Center. And we, as we're setting up shop in Charleston, we're, we're going through all the things that you do when you move locations, and you're finding doctors, and you're finding all the systems and rhythms that you need in your life. And, and we met a, a doctor that she just really connected with. And this doctor happens to be somebody who doesn't take um, never-ending diagnoses uh, very well. And so she decided she was going to go after this thing and try to figure out what's actually going on and what could be done. And so we go through a whole bunch more tests and, and lots of different, you know, journeys to different places. And, and then we come back and we talk and we go somewhere else and we come back and we talk. And I'll never forget it. We got a phone call after we had gone through a few of those tests. And she called and she said, hey, can I come meet with you guys at the office? And that's foreboding. And so I remember she, she came in and we went upstairs to my office and my wife was here and she sat down in the office and she said, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is it's not trigeminal neuralgia. Oh, wow, this is several years after the original diagnosis. The bad news is it's a brain tumor. She had a, a small tumor on her pituitary gland, which is right behind your eyeballs. And she didn't have a whole lot of answers. And she did not have to come sit with us. But she did. And she sat there and heard our questions and didn't have answers. And didn't know where it was going to take us. And she cried with us. And she prayed with us. Six years later, we still don't have answers. We've had surgeries and we've had all of those types of things, but we still don't know what's coming. And many of you sit in the same spot. You sit in the same spot where you're navigating something in your life that you just don't understand. And we can come up with bumper stickers and platitudes, but they don't help. You know, when Mary and Martha looked at Jesus and they said, if only you had been here. That was faith and doubt totally mixed together. It was a you could have done something and why didn't you? Totally mixed together. Jesus is not afraid of our doubts. He's not afraid of our doubts. Caitlin's going to sing a song that I hope my prayer is that it wraps some words around some of the doubts that you're facing in life. The second lens we want to look at John 11 through is this need for love. 
need for significance. We want to matter. We want to love and be loved. And this is something that God has made us to do. So it's not that it's a bad thing, but it's just true of humans. So the first thing is that it's common to humans. The desire to love and be loved, the desire for significance, the desire to matter is just common to humans. It's just part of being a person. Look at verse 3. Lord, he whom you love is ill. In verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. It was even part of the life of Christ that, that even though Jesus loves the world, John decides he's going to pick out. There, there's a unique relationship with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. There was a friendship there. So even in the, in the life of Jesus, this is true. Number two, this search for love, this search for significance creates our identity. It creates our identity. Look at verse 25. Jesus is having a conversation with Martha at this point, and Martha is saying, why weren't you here? And Jesus says, to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says to Martha, I am life. I am life. It's an identity statement. It's a who you are is found in Christ You know, in our world today, there's so many things that are vying for identity space in our life. So many things that are looking to land on the throne of your heart. And so how do you discover what it is that is your true identity? Well, you look at three things. You look at your worship, you look at your community, and you look at your influence. Who or what you worship reveals what your identity is. There's lots of things that can become identity. Every Saturday across our country, there are stadiums full of worshipers. They found their identity in a football team. They ascribe worth to that team. They find community around that team. They influence others for that team. The same thing can happen in politics. We ascribe worth to that set of things. We find community around that thing and we influence others for that thing. This search to matter, this search for significance, this search for acceptance, this search for love shapes who we are. And Jesus says, I am life. And anything else will leave you wanting. Anything else is short of what it could be. And if you put anything else on that throne, you're going to miss it. I am life. Number three. Number three, when we look at through the lens of love, is it deepens our purpose. It deepens our purpose. Look at verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go 
that we may die with him. Remember, just a minute ago, I was telling you about where we are in John chapter 11. And in John chapter 10, Jesus and his disciples had had gotten to the place where the tensions had gotten so high that the Jewish leaders wanted to stone Christ. And so they left Jerusalem. And now they've come back. They're they're getting ready to come back. And Jesus says, we're going to go there. We're going to go back to where we just came from. And Thomas, the guy that we normally think about by his one major mistake, that he doubted, he looks at the disciples and he says, all right, fellas, if he's going there, he's going to die. So we're going to go die with him. This search for significance, this relationship, this love is personified in the church. It deepens the purpose. It deepens mission. It gives us resolve for mission. Why do we gather on a Sunday so that we have more resolve on a Monday, realizing that we're not isolated? It's not just me and my mission. It's us and our mission. And it's his mission that he's sending us on. And so there's resolve through relationship. And so the people next to you are not just attenders that are sitting in these chairs on a Sunday morning, but they're on mission with you, being built as a part of this unique body that Christ has made that is bonded by identity in him and fortified through relationship. That's why it matters. That's why it matters because it deepens our purpose. It deepens our purpose. If I'm going by myself, man, that's hard. But if you're going with me, okay. Okay, we can do that. Robert McGee said, we all develop elaborate defense mechanisms to block pain and gain significance. We all develop elaborate defense mechanisms to block pain and gain significance. You know, if you think about it, there are moments in life that change us a little bit. You go through an experience and it's just, it was a little tough. Maybe it was you got cut off in traffic on the way here. You're kind of going along, clipping along at a good pace, and it's like it knocks you in the shoulder a little bit, and it takes you five, ten minutes to reset, and okay, I can keep going. But man, got to shake that off. But there are other moments in life that have deeper impact, and they tend to change the trajectory of our lives. And if you think about it for a second, those moments tend to be when pain and love intersect. The deepest moments of our life happen when there's pain involving significance. Why does it hurt so bad to lose a family member? Why does a divorce just rip us apart? The loss of a child. Those moments shape the trajectory of our life. Our mental health is impacted deeply in an ongoing way 
by those moments. Let me give you some beautiful things. Grief is not the opposite of joy. Loss is not the opposite of hope. Sorrow is not the opposite of love. Grief, like joy, is a gift from God. They can exist together. God has given us grief as a gift. Think about what Jesus said. He promised, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. James says, count it joy when you face trial because it's God working to produce endurance in you. There's literally, James is literally saying that when you have trial in your life, it's proof that God is still working. We rarely see trial as blessing, but it's proof that God is still working. God's inviting you as a follower of Christ to follow the example of Christ when dealing with these things that impact deeply our mental health. He says to see pain in a different way. To trust in his sovereignty and to allow it to press you into relationships, not away. To see love in a different way. To find your significance in him. To find your life in him. To press into your purpose, bringing glory to him and taking his gospel to all people. Let's look at the end of the story. Verse 38. Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now fast forward just a couple weeks, you're going to have to use your imagination. Put yourself in the throne room of God. A father had just gone through the loss of a son on the cross. Jesus, the son, had just gone through the loss of a father. Facing the wrath of God. And we arrive at the third day. And a big grin creeps across the face of God the Father. He stands up. And he calls out in a loud voice, Jesus, come forth. And Jesus walks out of the grave. And when he does, he proclaims that pain is not the end. 
Loss is not the end. Sorrow is not the end. Hopelessness is not the end. He actually says, I am the beginning and the end. I have come to bring life. But he also says to us, his kids, stay faithful, my kids. Soon, but not yet. Trust me, I love you. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. 